Lord has been good to us. Amen? God is good. You know, um, a couple days ago, I had to go to the conference office, and, you know, they were giving me a tour of the place. They were giving me a little office there. Yet in my heart, I just felt this emptiness. And I just thought, man, I won't be seeing the same people every week. I won't be here on Sabbath. And it just, these thoughts were just hitting my mind. And I've had these kind of private moments of where I've call it grieving or whatever you want to call it. But um, it definitely has been a, a, a time of, of ups and downs for me this whole week. I've tried even not to be around people as much um, because it just there's these moments that I had. You know, and I, I realize this because when you come together and you're part of a community... And not just any kind of community, but a spiritual community. And you give your heart and your mind, your, your life to this. You really connect and bond in ways that are much different, even from the world's way. And I just want to say, for the last seven and a half years that I've been here, I've been blessed so much by you guys. You know, and I just want to say thank you so much for enriching my life. Um, I realize that I've given my most energetic years to this church. Sorry about that, but <laughs> you got it. Um, but I have been just looking back, I have just been blessed. And I just want to say thank you again for changing me um, through your example, through your experience, through your love and your commitment to the Lord. I just, just want to say that. So why don't we start with another word of prayer. Let's ask God just to fill this place with his spirit, this message to be just um, directed by him. Father in heaven, thank you again for this time. Lord, we just praise you for your goodness and kindness to us. Thank you, God, for the last several years I've been able to be part of people's lives here, and they've been part of my life. And God, I thank you just for the richness, the blessings, the detours that you take our life through, the providences that bring people together for a certain time. God, we praise you for them. Thank you so much for all the things that you do for us. Bless us now as we open up your word, as we jump into this message. In Jesus' name, amen. The name of the sermon today is called, The Good Fight of Faith. The Good Fight of Faith. We're going to be talking about one of my favorite characters in all the Bible. His name is Paul. Paul's a very interesting person. Learned a lot about Paul's life. When I first became a Christian, I found some books on the life of Paul. This ardent uh, hero of faith who went around and uh, probably perhaps one of the most powerful of all the apostles of Christ. You know, there's so much to the life of Paul that we can learn and grow from. Amen? And uh, what we're going to be doing today is we're just going to take just a, a, a quick journey into Paul's life. I believe you'll be blessed as we open up God's Word. You know, I was looking online this week, and I came across a very interesting article. And it's an article about, you might have read it, about a a woman who's about 70 years old. Did you guys, anybody read about this? I guess I'm the only one who reads these things. (laughs) She spent her whole life in the Siberian wilderness. 70 years. She didn't venture out into town once. And the reason why the world came to know about her is simply because there were some geologists who were going into that area that were surveying the land and doing something with the ground. 
They found out about her and they found out her and her family actually had broke away from some church and they moved into the Siberian wilderness, really just completely separated, completely cut off. And uh, this woman lived 70 years, her whole life in the Siberian wilderness. Can you imagine that? Not venturing into town once, except recently she hurt her leg and she had to be airlifted to the local hospital, which was about 130 miles away. Now what's so amazing about this story is that I was going online after I read this story and I was thinking to myself, I wonder what a person who's been through that experience, what do they look like? Can you imagine what they might look like? Perhaps you might see someone like a Grizzly Adams look, right? A female version, you could say. Perhaps you can look, look at somebody say, made a Davy Crockett, a female version of Davy Crockett. I wonder what somebody would look like. Well, I didn't put the picture up. But man, when you look at this person's face, can you imagine that? You know what she read, by the way? Her reading material consisted of? The Bible and books on prayer. The Bible and books on prayer. But when you look at this woman's face, and you see this woman that has been out there in the woods, the wilderness for so long, the only things that really bothered her were bears and foxes who were trying to take her food from her all the time. Go figure, right? You look at this woman's face, and there are these deep lines that are in her face. You look at this woman's face, and you begin to see these eyes that are sunken in. And as you're looking and examining the details of this woman's face, because the face reveals the experience of the person, you see somebody with very tender eyes, completely alone, yet God was with her, even in a place like that. Have you ever noticed somebody who's been through an experience and their face actually changes, like it actually morphs? Right? It looks different than the way it did before the experience, right? In fact, when you read the book Desire of Ages, Ellen White says that Jesus, when he came back from 40 days of fasting in the wilderness, that when he showed up, the very first place he went was to that wedding in Cana, and that the traces of conflict were all over his face. And when his mom saw him, she was quite surprised. 40 days. You can imagine what that would do to somebody. Right? One time I really, I preached this evangelistic series. I never forgot. I went to go visit my mom down in Southern California. And the first thing she did, she's like, she saw me and she's like, what happened to you? Loving, isn't it? But have you ever been through an experience? Sometimes you look at these like pictures of presidents, right? People before they start their presidency. And then after they start their presidency. Seven years later, right? You look at the pictures of Obama and his hair is gray, the wrinkles. Or the pictures of uh, the former president, President Bush. Right? And you can just see the amount of stress and the amount of pressure that has just changed or altered even the physical structure of their face. Now, why am I saying this? Because imagine if you were to look at somebody in the Bible who's been through a range of experiences and you look at their face, what would you see? And the person I'm talking about today is Paul. Can you imagine what Paul looked like? Can you imagine when his, the way his face changed through all these experiences? All the things that happened to him. The Bible says he was beaten several times. Right? He was stoned. 
This guy had been shipwrecked three times. Can you imagine what somebody like that probably looks like? When I thought about this morning, I thought to myself, he probably looks like a boxer after a fight. Have you ever seen a boxer after a fight? Yeah, you can see them, but they really can't see you, right? Their faces are just swollen. Now, I don't know if Paul really looked like that, but I imagine Paul, after his many years of experiences, here he is, he's writing some of the last letters to his disciples. People like Timothy. I can imagine just the look on his face, the wrinkles, the traces of conflict. I mean, you look at this guy, you would think, man, this guy has been through some battles, right? What we're going to be doing today again is we're going to be looking at the life of Paul, specifically the last part of his life. Very interesting. Everybody take your Bible. Let's go to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. The book of Acts is a narrative written by Luke. Sometimes they call it the second gospel of Luke. It's a continuation of what happens after Luke's gospel. It was written by Luke. There are certain parts in this book of Acts in which the scene focuses on the early church, then upon Peter, then upon John, and eventually the remainder of the book begins to hone in on Paul. The Bible tells something very interesting about Paul. He was one born out of due time. One born out of due time. He was chosen, the Bible says, not by the will of man, but by God. He learned the gospel. He says in Corinthians, by the revelation of God, this is a man who was chosen by God for a powerful work. He did probably much more than the other disciples did, although not in any way diminishing what they did. But the man Paul did a mighty work. And when you look at this man's life, he is an example to all believers. Can you say amen to that? What's so amazing at the end of Acts chapter 20, the end of the book of Acts, Paul has this burning desire to take the gospel back to Jerusalem. Now I want you to think about this, okay? Originally, before he was converted, he left Jerusalem with the message of persecution and death from the Jewish leaders. And now at the end of his life, it comes full circle and he's going back to Jerusalem, not this time with the message of death and persecution, but a message of love and life. The entire ministry of Paul comes full circle right here. He left Jerusalem to hunt down Christians. And now he's coming back to make more Christians. Can you say amen to that? What's so amazing, friends, one thing you may know in life as you continue to follow the Lord. He will bring you full circle back to the very place you started. For what reason? You'll have to find out. In fact, I was reading a book by Ravi Zacharias, his testimony... Very interesting. When he was a young man, he actually tried to commit suicide. And as he was laying there on his deathbed, um, uh, the nurses came and they ministered to him. A man walked in a Christian and read this verse from John that says, Because I live, you shall live. It's verses from the book of John about Jesus. Jesus saying, Because I live, you shall live. Someone read that to him while he was in that of consciousness. It became his life verse. And many times he would preach on it. One day when he was in India... He goes back and he begins to discover more about his lineage. The first person who became a Christian in his family from a line of Brahmin priests was his grandma. He goes to his grandma's grave, finds it through some luck. He puts a, just begins to clear it away and there written on her gravestone were these verses. Because I live, you shall live also. Can you imagine that? I mean his life came almost full circle to this point. 
And God will do that to us. He'll bring us around for some powerful conclusion. And we're not really sure what all the details are in the dynamics of that. You have to follow the Lord to see that. Amen? The Lord knows more about your past and your ancestry more than you do. And you'd be surprised when we get to heaven, all the details that are going to come out about our lives. So here Paul is. He's got a burden to go to Jerusalem. And so as he's about to go to Jerusalem, he set his heart to go to this place. The Bible tells us he begins to gather around him the Ephesian elders. Take your Bible, let's go to the Gospel of Luke, or Gospel of Acts, the Gospel of Acts, the book of Acts, chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. If you're there, say amen. amen. The storm here. Acts chapter 20, starting with verse 17. Okay, if I stop breathing, I start dying. Okay, Acts chapter 20, starting with verse 17. Notice what it says right here. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the who? Elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept nothing back that was helpful, and proclaimed to you and taught you publicly and from house to what? House. I testify, testifying to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and the Greeks. Um, testifying to the Jews and to the Greeks, repentance towards God and and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that, notice what he says right here, I may finish my race with what? Joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Here Paul is speaking to the Ephesian elders, the leadership of this church. That was probably one of the most successful churches under his leadership. He calls all the elders and he begins to instruct them, admonish them, and he begins to give them some powerful words. This would be the last words they would hear from him because shortly after that, he'd be taken through this roller coaster of a ride where he would be persecuted and eventually put to death by Nero. His words are so articulated in such a way to leave a powerful message to these people who would continue to direct the church even after he was gone. When you actually read the book of Ephesians, there's powerful lessons of God's love, the height, the depth, the breadth, the width. Of the love of God. Paul spent a lot of time in Ephesus leading and raising up that church. And so here he is. He gives some powerful instructions. And what he says to these Ephesian elders in the first part, he says that he wants to finish the race with joy and he wants to complete the ministry that God gave him to preach the gospel of what? Grace. You know, when you look at the life of Paul, here are some of the things that Paul went through. I want to go through them. Sometimes you have a friend that will show you your scars. I want you to see Paul's scars. He says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 
I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. Can you imagine? There's no movie that compares to this thing. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at the sea, in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Can you imagine if someone shows you their scars? Say, look at this scar that I got. And then Paul says, you want to see my scars? His whole life, his body, his mind put to the test. I mean, this man was full of a lot of scars from all his ministry. The guy was being constantly hunted down. Why? Because of how well he understood the gospel and how effective was his preaching. The devil was hunting this guy down. Imagine if we had that kind of experience. I mean, think about it, friends. The things that keep us from the church. The things that cause us to run. We get concerned if the carpet changes. We get concerned if someone says something bad about us. But look at the life of Paul. Look at all that he went through, but he hung in there. And he says, I'm going to be committed. I'm going to finish this race. Friends, when you think about all the things that affect us, how little are they in comparison to this? This is what real persecution looks like. This is right here. And friends, if we've gone up and down roller coaster experience with the church, we haven't seen anything yet during these end times. And that's why God is calling us to be faithful. And we need to understand what in the world was in Paul's experience that kept him so faithful that even as he was being beaten to unconsciousness, the man kept holding on to the gospel. What in the world would keep someone going after after being beaten? In fact, when you read the end of this, he actually says something afterwards. He says, and by the way, this governor tried to kill me. I was let on the side of a wall with a basket all the way down. I mean, this guy is talking about how much that he almost died in preaching the gospel. But it just tells us how dangerous he was to the kingdom of Satan. You know, it's very interesting. During World War II, during World War II, they would often take the Jewish prisoners and they would not feed them. And these people were many times emaciated. You've seen the pictures. They're weak. And they wouldn't need about a hundred Nazi soldiers to guard them. They'd only need about two or three. You want to know why? Because even with these hundred Jewish soldiers who were so, uh, Jewish uh, um, prisoners who were so weak, they could not overpower these guards. So only two were needed to guard over a hundred. Friends, I want you to understand something. If our experience is such that resembles the world, the devil doesn't need a whole host of fallen angels to deal with us. Maybe one or two. But when you look at the life of Paul, it seems the whole host of Satan was against this man. Why? Because he had something that the world needed. Something that Jesus gave to him, that God gives to us that we need to share with the whole world. 
This man understood and believed with his whole heart the gospel. Can you say amen to that? And this powerful gospel, the Bible says in Romans chapter 1, has the power to save both Jew and Greek, man and woman. It has the power to deliver from sin. Amen. In the gospel is contained the beautiful message of Jesus and the cross. And friends, if you're not preaching the gospel, you're not preaching Christ. Say that one more time. If you're not preaching the gospel, you're not preaching Christ. In all our teachings, there needs to be a straight line to the gospel. This message that God wants to save man and woman. That he can only do it through his power and through his grace. Every other means, friends, will fall apart. So amazing. I was reading something that was so powerful. This is what it says right here. Without the cross, man could have no connection with the Father. On it hangs our every hope. In view of it, the Christian may advance with the steps of a conqueror. With the steps of a what? Conqueror. For, for from it streams the light of, a, of the Savior's love. When the sinner reaches the cross and he looks up to the one who died to save him, he may rejoice with the fullness of joy for his sins are pardoned. And I love this next part. Kneeling at the cross, he has reached the highest place to which man can attain. Can you say amen to that? Kneeling at the foot of the cross. You've reached the highest place that man can attain. Kneeling at the foot of the cross. Coming to Jesus. Just as you are. And receiving from Him. Not just pardon, pardon, but the power over sin. Can you say amen to that? Not just justification, but sanctification. The power to change the human heart. The world around us is trying to understand, how can you change something that doesn't change? Well, I got the answer, friends. You can't. You need something that's not natural. You need something that's supernatural. Amen? And this is what Paul believed. And he understood. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God is revealed in the face of who? Jesus Christ. And the words of pardon are spoken. Live, O ye guilty sinners, live. Your repentance is accepted, for I have found a ransom. Through the cross we learn that our heavenly Father loves us with an infinite and everlasting love. Amen? And draws us to Him with more than a mother's yearning sympathy for a wayward child. Can we wonder that Paul exclaimed, God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is our privilege also to glory in the cross of Calvary. Our privilege to give ourselves wholly to Him who gave Himself for us. Then with the light of love that shines from His face on ours, we shall go forth to reflect it to those in darkness. Amen. And by the way, let me say something and make it very clear. Your views on how a person is saved directly affect your views on how a person is evangelized. Let me say it one more time. Your views on how a person is saved directly affects your view on how you reach out to that person. If that experience is cheap, your outreach will be cheap. If you have legalistic views about how a person is saved, friends, it's going to be a long while before anybody reaches that standard that you set up. Friends, Christ is that standard. Amen? 
and justification. He offers pardon, forgiveness. He offers. And by the way, forgiveness is not just from God, not just merely earthly forgiveness where you say, hey, you know what? I forgive you. With forgiveness comes the power over that sin that offended to begin with. And this is what God offers. This is God's powerful, redeeming love. Amen. Let's continue with this. For I have not shunned to declare to you. Let me read that last part. What was that last part? Yes. It is our privilege also to glory in the cross of Calvary. Our privilege to give ourselves wholly to him who gave himself to us. Then with the light of love that shines from his face on ours, we shall go forth to reflect it to those in darkness. You know, one day I was going online. One of my friends posted something that was so marvelous. I adjusted it. I adapted it. And let me say it as best as I could. (laughs) You know, it's so interesting to preach. But then when you actually have to think, it's a whole other thing. Just kidding. Those require the same thing, right? The righteousness that becomes ours. Let me say it one more time. The righteousness which belongs to Christ becomes ours just as much as the sin which belongs to us becomes Christ. Let me say it one more time. The righteousness which belongs to Christ becomes ours just as much as the sin which belongs to us becomes Christ. The Bible tells us in Corinthians that he became sin for us, that we might become the what? Righteousness of God. And the transference is complete. And that sin, when it is taken away from us, Christ takes it upon himself, friends, and it is no longer yours. Can you say amen to that? And that's what's so powerful about the gospel. The entire Adventist message sets up a context in which the gospel can be understood in such a beautiful way. But friends, I want you to never forget, and I said this during the Agape Feast, Adventist's first call to the world is not to behave, but to behold. Not to behave, but to behold. The Lamb of God which takes away our sins. Amen. And the sinner can stand free and pardoned. This is what changed Paul's life. This is why he could take the gospel to the entire world and be beaten and being hunted and being persecuted because he believed so deeply of God's redeeming love, he would do whatever it takes so the world could understand this same love. Can you say amen to that? But friends, here's what's so amazing. Paul continues in his message to these Ephesian elders. He says something interesting as he continues these last words to this church. He says, for I have not shunned to declare you to you the whole counsel of God. He says, you know what? I didn't keep anything back from you. If it was hard, I shared it. If it was soft, I shared it. But he said, I have kept nothing back. Continues. Therefore, take heed to yourself and all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you what? Overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that notice what he says, after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Paul could foresee what was about to happen with his departure. That his enemies, as soon as they saw an opening, would come right in and take advantage of the situation. So here's the experience that Paul was trying to communicate to the elders. And he says, you need to be Vigilant. You need to be vigilant. Therefore watch, he says, and remember for the three years I have not ceased to warn everyone night and day with tears. Friends, I want to do something right here. To all our church elders that are present, I know many of them are gone on a music trip, but 
We have Scott and all our elders to please come up to the front. Friends, when you actually study out the Bible, it is the elders that are given oversight of the church. God places a very high um, emphasis, strong emphasis upon our elders. To be godly men. To lead the church. And Pastor Ted, you can join them as well. But invite all our elders, maybe you can come over to here. And I want to lay a very solemn charge to you before the church and before the universe. As Paul laid. Friends, this is the leadership of the church right here. Many of us don't even know who an elder is. I want you to take a good look at this. And by the way, when you study out 1 Timothy, if you notice the qualification of elders are not people who can sing well and can run financial meetings. Although those are pluses to have. Amen? The qualification of elders are, are these men godly men? How do they run their household? And do they hold the church accountable? Friends, what you are looking at here is men who have been called, and I believe, honed by the Spirit of God. They're not perfect men, but we love them anyways. These are people who Paul was admonishing, and he was saying to them, you are to be overseers to the church. God is entrusting you to watch over the flock of God. This is a high and solemn calling. Paul recognized that after his departure, wolves would come in and take advantage of the situation. And there's just a few things I want to say to the elders right now. And I say this with just as much as sincerity as possible. First thing is this. Make sure every single day you spend time with God. Unless you spend time in the word of God, you will discern and contribute the work of God as being the work of Satan and the work of Satan as being the work of God. The issues are so complex, so complicated today that you need the discernment. But as you spend time in the word of God, the spirit of God will show you exactly what is the reality of the situation. And so friends, I really want to tell you right now, first thing is this, every single day, consecrate yourself to God. Spend time with Jesus. He will give you wisdom. The Bible says in Proverbs, the wise in heart will receive commands. God will show you what to do. He will give you counsel. And He will give you strength to fulfill that counsel. The second thing I want to charge before you is this. God is calling you to be holding every one of the leaders and all the people in this church accountable. You have a God-given role to hold especially the leadership of our church accountable. God is placing it upon you to make sure that our leaders are people who are faithful to God. And if there are things that are not right, then you have a God-given mission to work with that individual in a Christ-like way. But you are called to hold the church accountable. Amen. Amen. That is a God-given calling. Because if the leaders fail to do this, the elders fail to do this, the wolves will come in and take advantage. Number one, spend time with Jesus every day. Number two, hold this church leadership accountable. Hold them accountable. I have respected the counsel I have received from you guys. You have talked to me, and I love spending time with you. Rodney, I love your poker face. Man, I wish I could have something like that. Can't tell what's going on there sometimes, but that's it. But the third thing I want to say is this. You have to uphold the arms of Pastor Ted. 
God calls upon you to pray for this man and to surround him with counsel and encouragement. Scott, you've been nothing but a wonderful brother. I call you my dad, but you're too young for my dad, right? But you have been a wonderful man. And I'll tell you this, this man has a godly life. A godly life, and I know it. I've seen it, and he's been an example to me. But friends, I want to say this to you. Hold up the arms of Pastor Ted. Need your encouragement. He's going to need your counsel. He's going to need your wisdom. He's going to need, above all things, your prayers. Be loyal to him. He's not a perfect man. Amen? But God doesn't need imperfect men. He needs willing men. God has blessed Ted with a lot of wisdom and a lot of counsel. I've been blessed by his experience in so many ways. He's changed me. Also, first thing I want to repeat to you. Spend time with Jesus every single day. Make it your, your first thing that you do. Number two, hold this church accountable. Hold the leadership accountable. Cruelty is not to be tolerated. It's not to be tolerated. We want our leadership to be Christ-centered and Christ-inspired. Amen? The third thing I want to really encourage you, as I said before, pray for Pastor Ted, uphold him. And the fourth thing is this, the most important thing, I think, in the midst of all these other important things, and that is this, meet consistently. When you meet consistently and together, you will be well aware of what's going on and you will be able to pray together. So many things may take up your time. But place a priority upon meeting together and praying together. And it's been wonderful to see, even the last few months, elders have been coming together and their wives have been coming together as well to pray and to search out counsel. But don't stop. I really believe God is calling you to keep going forward. And you will see that God will be able to do even greater things that have been done the last seven and a half years if you will come together and pray and seek His counsel. And the last thing is this. Don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. Whenever problems arise, always recognize in the midst of problems, there's providence. In the midst of problems, there's providence. God is leading and guiding. Hold to that. Amen? We're not done with our sermon, by the way. I want to say a special prayer for these men. I want to kneel with them. If we can kneel right now. And I just want to pray a special blessing upon them. And I want us to kneel as well. Because I want us to pray for these elders. We're not done with the sermon yet, so don't leave yet. Like I said, it's the last sermon. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I just thank you so much for this group of elders. I've seen them grow. I've seen them become more committed to you. I've seen them pray and weep, Lord. I've seen the trials in their lives and the way the devil attacks them. Lord Jesus, right now I want to pray for them and ask that the Spirit of God would rest upon them in an even greater way than before. Lord, we pray that the things we talked about, Father in heaven, we pray that you would answer these prayers in their lives. God, I know many of them have struggles, but they may they be encouraged more and more by you and by their church. And may this flock, Lord, always pray for their leadership, always pray for their elders, and hold them up before you, God. Thank you, Jesus, for this leadership that you have called for such a time as this. In Jesus' name, amen. You may go back to your seats.
Like I said, we're not done with the sermon yet. If you complain how long the sermon is, please see the interim pastor, Pastor Ted. He will discuss this and address your needs. Amen. Let's continue with this, friends. Just one more point to make, and perhaps one of the most powerful points to make. Right here. Paul here, in his final message to the Ephesian elders, he begins to say some wonderful things. And he talks to them, and if he, in Acts chapter 20, about the inheritance of the saints. The inheritance of the saints? What's he talking about? It's very interesting. When you actually study out some of the other epistles of Paul, he says some remarkable things here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. By the grace of God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise what? Builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than that one that has already been laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. What is the lesson here? Friends, I want you to understand something. Jesus Christ laid a foundation for this church. Amen? He laid a foundation for the Christian church. And the early church began to build upon this foundation. But when the early church began to become corrupt and become apostate, God raised up reformers and they began to build upon this foundation. And friends, I want you to know something. In every generation... In every generation, God is using His people to build upon the foundation that was laid. And one day this building will be complete. But the fire will test it for what kind of material it really is. And friends, we have been called for such a time as this. To put on the best kind of material possible. To do the work that is most necessary for such a time as this. Friends, if there ever is a need for the church of God to keep going forward and onward, it is now. If the church will put on the robes of Christ's righteousness, withdrawing from all allegiance from the world, there is before her the dawn of a bright and glorious day. God's promise to her will stand fast forever. Truth, passing by those who despise and reject it, will triumph. Although at times apparently retarded, its progress has never been checked. Endowed with divine energy, it will cut its way through the strongest barriers and triumph over every obstacle. What sustained the Son of God during His life of toil and sacrifice? He saw the results of the travail of his soul and was satisfied. Looking unto eternity, he beheld the happiness of those who through his humiliation had received pardon and everlasting life. His ear caught the shout of the redeemed. We may have a vision of the future. The blessedness of heaven. In the Bible are revealed visions of the future glory. Scenes pictured by the hand of God, and these are dear to His church. By faith we may stand upon the threshold of the eternal city, and hear the gracious welcome given to those who in this life cooperate with Christ, regarding it as an honor to suffer for His sake. As the words are spoken, Come ye blessed of my Father, 
they cast down the crowns at the feet of the Redeemer, exclaiming, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches, wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Honor and glory and power be unto him that sits upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. There the redeemed will greet those who led them to the Savior. And all shall unite in praising him who died that human beings might have life that measures with the life of God. The conflict is over. Tribulation and strife are at an end. Songs of victory fill all of heaven as the ransomed ones take up the joyful strain. Worthy, worthy is the lamb that was slain and lives again a triumphant conqueror. Friends, there's such an important point. And we can't miss this point. And Paul touched on it at the end of this message to the Ephesian elders. When he said it's better to give than receive. The Jews had such wrong ideas about the kingdom. And it led them to wrong ideas about the Messiah. They believed the kingdom of heaven was geographical, political, national. And so they were looking for a Messiah like this. And they misinterpreted the mission of Jesus and his character. And we as a church... are doing the same if we don't understand what is the mission of why we're here. Friends, the mission of the church is and will always be to proclaim the love of God to a fallen world. In here is where the love of God is to reign. In this place, talking about where the people are gathered together, it is here that the lost can find hope and salvation. Friends, if we're just here to continue the way things have always been, we'll be here a long day. Did you know the children of Israel, when they were at the border of the promised land, literally one day away, physically, but at the end of the day, they found themselves 40 years away. 40 years away they found themselves at the end of the day. Friends, we can't lose sight of this. That one day Jesus is coming back and he's coming back to take as many souls that have received him. And this is our time right now. The series Seventh-day Adventist Church was raised up by God and it is being directed by God and is called by God for such a time as this. I want to challenge you to be faithful to that calling. To be faithful to the way that God has led your life. That you would not forget all the things that he has shown you in his word. Paul said in his final epistle to Timothy. He said, I have finished the race. I have fought the good fight. And he says, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the righteous Lord will give to me, and not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. Friends, right now, by faith, we're there at the threshold of eternity. 
And by faith, we can see the new Jerusalem. And by faith, we can hear the sounds of the angels welcoming us in. And by faith, like Paul, saw into the future, Christ placing upon him a crown. Friends, the best thing I can tell you right here, right now, is be faithful to the Lord. Be faithful to the Lord. God will give you everything you need for this life. Everything. He will supply all and supplement your where you are weak. He will bless you with his grace. He will pick you up when you're wounded. He will give you strength to keep going on and on. Stay close to Jesus. I hope that when I see you again in the future, if not here, in heaven, I hope that I'll be able to embrace you and hear all that God has done in your life. God is in charge of this church and he'll continue to lead it on. And he'll be in charge of your life if you will let him. What I'm going to do right now is what Paul did at the end of Acts chapter 20. He invited the elders to come and kneel with him and pray. And so I'm going to invite the whole church, whoever is wanting to come here and pray, to give ourselves to the Lord. Kneeling at the foot of the cross, man finds the highest place. And I'm going to invite the music team to sing a very special song as well. As we're coming up to the front to pray and to give ourselves to the Lord. Friends, this is the life that God has given to us. Lord, I want to pray the special priestly blessing upon them found in number six. That the Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. And the Lord give you peace. Father in heaven, I commit this church into your hands. And I thank you, Lord, you are faithful to guide them. Bless the leadership. Bless each person here. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. And thank you for the last years, Lord, that have changed me. We love you, God, and we commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.